right, welcome everyone to episode 13 of Room of Requirement. A podcast dedicated to resistance and soul care in the time of Trump. I'm Miracle Jones. And I'm Kamala Sharao, and we are your co-hosts. I actually had a question for you sure, about man. our tagline. We changed self-care to soul care, which I think was a good a good move. Yeah. Uh, now that resistance has become a brand, sure. uh, as far as the left goes, like as far as mildly standing up to yeah. like being engaged in politics slightly, yeah. uh, should we change that? I mean, Yeah, I was just thinking it should be the shield and the sword in the time of Trump. Because oh, we're, trying, we're both protecting ourselves and attacking <laughs> yeah, the yeah, shield yeah. and the sword. What's a more literary version of saying the shield and the sword? Maybe like, yeah, maybe like soul care and street fighting <laughs> <laughs> well we'll try to figure that out yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So how are you man i'm i'm okay you yeah. know it's uh it's it's slowly becoming spring here in new york sure yesterday i think was our first really good day it was a nice day yeah, yeah. um which if was... you weren't in the shade yeah yeah so it is warming up in new york city which tends to for two southern boys, yeah. tends to, like, boost the endorphins. Oh, yeah. So we'll be giddy for a while, no matter what happens. <laughs> Here comes the internment camps. Yeah, yeah. Is there volleyball there? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. The weather is, is turning better. But other than that, you are good, yeah? Yeah, I think so. It's been working a lot and, yeah. you know, pretty healthy, I guess. And I don't know. Like, I can't. I can't complain. Life's good here in Jackson Heights. Yeah, I feel like uh, we don't have to go into too many details, but it seems like things are interesting in your job world as well. It's yeah, nice to be wanted. Yeah, sure. Nice to be wanted. Yeah, there's always so there's good. always plenty of work. As far well, as our like, aim is always to thrive during yeah, the time yeah, of Trump, yeah, yeah, despite yeah. all odds. Yeah, so. for sure. You know. <laughs> um, so uh, and you're cooking, right? You just you yeah, been, cooking a been doing bit more. more cooking. Yeah, That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Cooking, I think, is just one of those skills that it's a steep learning curve, but it just pays off so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think you guys have been inspirational in that. Seeing like, oh, really? seeing like you're a massive larder <laughs> and just like your kitchen. And the food's so good. It's like way better than you can get in like a restaurant. It's just like... And, and actually, it really reduces our incentive to eat out. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, my wife and I have been... Uh, even before we were together, we cooked uh, separately for a long time. So um, uh, a couple of cooking cooking quirks aside, we, we actually... This is one of the places that we, uh, we mesh pretty well is the kitchen. So... Yeah, that's why it's always great to go out to eat with you guys too, because you're you insist on going someplace that's better than you could cook, which means it's like it's gonna be great. Like, it's gonna be really good. Yeah. And we're cheap, so it's not too expensive. Yeah, it's the perfect time. Right, yeah, right, anytime. Right. Like you know what the hell you're doing. Cool. Uh, how you been? Like, um, you... I have been uh, pretty good. I think it's gonna be uh, stressful in terms of uh, the next few weeks in terms of trying to get work done and. Uh, we are going on a vacation. Um, Where are you going? Uh, Japan. Ah, back to Japan. Back to Japan. My wife loves it. Um, I'll tell this quick anecdote. So uh, my wife loves Japan. Absolutely. She she uh, she speaks Japanese. She's lived there for a couple of years. And her parents also love it. Her parents live in East Asia. Um, but they were thinking about uh, uh, joining us. And they are going to join us because they want to see... Uh, some sort of wisteria bloom or something like that. So that they're her parents. You must be so pumped. Oh, so, sorry. so so already I am like, oh okay, so that's just alone time in Japan, right? Sure. I'm gonna go check out like capsule hotels and like weird crap in yeah, Japan. Yeah, yeah. Um but at some point like she she's really good at like kind of planning itineraries and so her and her her parents were so impressed that they were like, hey, can a couple of our friends join us? Uh, so one possible scenario is I would spend a couple of days in Japan 
walking around with about like three or four couples in their 70s and 80s looking at flowers. And when my wife said that, I literally ran out the door. I was like, maybe it's cultural. I just don't get it. But like hiking to see flowers is not my thing. Yeah, that's a really specific thing. But uh, other than that, uh, so I think it'll be pretty good, actually. So uh, also, uh, apparently, uh, UNC Chapel Hill tonight is going to play for the uh, national championships in uh, men's college basketball. Who are they playing against? Uh, Gonzaga. None of them live together, but my mom, my dad, and my sister will all be up late tonight watching basketball. Whoa. Are you watching? Are you going to watch? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I left left that region for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, But I will see the score and uh, be like, okay, that's cool, one way or the other. I know the one thing is that I I haven't called my mom for a while, so I need to call her before 9 o'clock. Does your mom like basketball? Oh, yeah. When I visit, like, I, I can't visit pretty much during March. Because she'll Whoa. be like, this is March Madness, yeah. so if you come over, um, I'll talk to you during ad breaks. But other than that, you're That's on your own. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, My yeah, mom's yeah. Super, yeah, she's super into it, I guess. Do you yeah. think sports are healthy for people? Yes. Yeah. I do think they are, sports are healthy, playing sports. Playing sports, yeah. Uh, I, do I think that sports as an entertainment comp, uh, <laughs> industry is healthy? No. Yeah. I feel like it's a, a profound waste of time, and it sort of really warps our culture, like, I think what really annoys me, um, I guess you can come from the left and be like, okay, look at all the values. I actually come from it. I come from left. I'm like, okay, look, we could be spending our money on social programs. But I also come from the right because every time you talk about sports and athletes, they're like, they're the modern day warriors. I'm like, no, no, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) They are super well paid, like spoiled children who never grew up and continue to be paid to play games. But, you know, it's also a sacrifice. I mean, that's. You know, they're spoiled, but that's kind of, I mean, how do you turn that down if you're good at that? How do you turn down being paid, like, millions of dollars to do a dumb thing, you know, that you kind of love? Like, For everybody would say yes to that, right? I mean, so, yeah. I, I mean, but I think it's also a little bit of a gamble, right? Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a mortgage. It's a gamble. And I think the NCAA, the way that they basically profit off of, like, you know, a handful of kids. Yeah, no, it's awful. That, that, I think the whole system is yeah, fucked yeah. up. You know, I'd, I'd urge people not to watch so many sports. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's a good escapism. I think it raises your blood pressure and makes you, like, right. pissed off at, like, regions and people for no Yeah, reason. absolutely. It's so, it's so like, um, arbitrary and and tribal. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. the worst. And, like, I, I mean, I have friends who, like, stayed in North Carolina, and North Carolina's a big sports place, right? I mean, obviously, Texas is the same, but, like, you know, they love their, their like, basketball or their football and uh, but i will say that uh, the reason i came to new york was actually i applied to schools that didn't have great athletic teams and i actually put that in my college application i was like well you school have like a long streak of losing football games and that's why i want to come does columbia have sports it does actually what what is the what are the columbians columbian lions what sports do they have uh they have all of them they're like d1 um they i mean and they used to have a really good fencing team every so often they produce a great uh like uh team like if the, if all the alumni get together and they're like okay we're gonna focus on recruiting yeah and then f- so in four years time they will have a good team my year they actually had a, a really good football player who basically won us games but i was gonna say like i am a hypocrite for all of this because um when i was in uh middle school my dad actually just brought this up i got suspended um because or whatever i got suspended because like i forget one teacher put up like posters of unc to celebrate a win and so I just kind of took them down when she wasn't looking and, like, put them in my locker. And I got, like, suspended for stealing. Um, and then, but that was, like, in eighth grade. But, like, 
by the time I got around to high school, I was like, this is all kind of crap. How yeah. long were you suspended for? I think I got 10 days of suspension. That's a long suspension. Yeah. She was livid. Uh, I believe her name was Deborah Carr. Miss Carr. No um, <laughs> And uh, so she got really mad. She wanted me to actually suspend. Oh, I was an in-school suspension. And yeah. then, like, uh, my dad, they threatened to do more. And then my dad, being awesome, was like... <laughs> He threatened to sue them yeah, if they did yeah, anymore because yeah, yeah. he was like, "Because it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous." Somebody for and I think that was my dad's police. literal words. So like it was ridiculous. But so that was um, that uh, it was misplaced rebellion. I could have been doing something more positive with all that rebellious anti-authoritarian energy. I don't trust anybody that hadn't been suspended at least once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was that. Oh, you have a haircut. I got a haircut. I'm looking a little bit more respectable, maybe. I don't know. It depends on who, what you respect. Right. right. I, I don't trust you as much. <laughs> um, but I'm at an age where I dearly dread getting my hair cut because at some point, it's not going to grow back. No, right. you think so? You have like a pretty healthy head. Uh, I don't know. So far, so good. But like, Your dad yeah. have his hair? Uh, my dad started balding recently. Oh, but, really? but he's eight. Recently? But he's eight? Yeah, you're going to yeah, be so, fine. Yeah, so he started. But I think it's on my mother's side. Okay. Yeah, so that's always a wild. Does your grand, does your mom dad have his hair? I don't know. Nobody can see this, but it's a luxurious like <laughs> salt and pepper, like Roman Senate head of hair. Why? Thank you. So no, no, no. Yeah, For yeah. now, until the implants fall out. If you dyed your hair, you would look younger than me. Uh, maybe. Yeah, you it's would. possible. But yeah. then I'd open my mouth and be like, "Fuck you, kids." <laughs> well, anyway, it looks good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, all right. Uh, let's talk about politics. Then. Yeah. Um, so it's actually been a pretty quiet week, I think, for politics. Yeah, there's been a lot of more fallout from other things, like yeah. crisis and management yeah. and, and, you know, spin. One of the things I, I've noticed is that the like all the policy wonks or even the press are sort of like, oh, is this finally the collapse of the Trump administration? And once, because the Trump administration's been caught so like backfooted yeah. over the past couple of weeks like people are writing effectively a bit an obituary right but uh, i think it's all overdone and it's all way premature yeah they're they're playing the long game I mean, yeah they're spinning they're spinning it in a way that suggests that they are trying to take aim at the courts they want right. to they want to dismantle they want to make the courts the enemy yeah so they can pull the fdr thing and then in a year start you know placing those federal judges in the positions that are vacant and then ramming shit through. Yeah, this is in particular related to Gorsuch as well as other nominations. Yeah, right? yeah, but also, you know, the drug war. Like, plenty of things yeah. are dependent on having... Judges that are more sympathetic. Yeah, yeah I think so. I mean, the, again, the only thing I would caution is that I think the administration has vocally tried to claim that they are, in fact, anti-fragile, which we talked about in an earlier podcast. Yeah. So. Uh, one possibility is they may actually be like all this chaos actually somehow makes them stronger. And yeah. one of the key things that I think is going to be good about this administration is that the left falls out of love with the executive branch. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it was easy for us to be really lazy about uh, romanticizing or giving a lot of power to the executive branch when someone we really admired like Barack Obama was in charge. But in general, one of the bedrock kind of notions or ways of looking at the world um, that is inherent to the American democracy is to be suspicious of a strong executive. That's why we, in theory, at least a long time ago, placed a lot of power in the Congress. To be fair, that's been eroded over the past <laughs> two or three generations, but still. Uh, but it is important. I think it's important, a healthy skepticism, no matter who's in charge, 
um, that we should be somewhat wary of giving a lot of power to the executive branch. And there's cover now for the left to be more civil libertarian as well, as far as like surveillance, as far as drug drugs and everything. Right, and I think the left could be all over the place uh, on one hand because I think its real weakness actually is that we, uh, having strong policy wonks, are sort of put to the background and instead we tend to uh, put forth mostly kind of emotional stories or human interest type stories, and that's our re- and that's what our rhetoric is based around. Um, so maybe now policy comes to the forefront, which is kind of my hope. Obviously, we care because yeah, yeah. we love technocrats. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So maybe we're just hoping it becomes more like us. But in truth, what could possibly happen is that the Trump administration becomes this brilliantly anti-fragile fascist organization, and the left just goes spinning off into Burning Land. Yeah. Anything come out this week in terms of either Russia or the leaks that anything new or has anything changed your mind? Not really. It's just going to be, you know, I just be a lot of like minutia, grinding minutia around. Yeah, that people are going to become less and less interested in. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, As long as until there's big revelations or news sweeping. And I think people are just going to be really um, more and more near to like the russia scandal as it is yeah yeah it'll be it'll be it's not going away it's definitely gonna erode support over time it's you know gonna remind people of one of the things they really don't like about trump i think everybody doesn't like which is that he doesn't seem to stand for anything we all know what russia stands for it stands for (laughs) russia (laughs) right 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 Right. yeah and if he were in fact a nationalist by he i mean trump he would actually be pro-america not Mm -hmm pro-Russia. Yeah. Uh, I don't want people to be so, like, it's apathetic that they don't care anymore, but at the same time, expecting that this will bring down the administration, I think is too much. Yeah, but, wait wait for the New York Times to get it. I mean, this is one of those times when you wait for the most, like, tight-ass, like, yeah. you know, unexciting piece of journalism yeah yeah somewhere yeah when you see both the wall street journal and the new york times cover it then yeah. you know then you know it'll be something real yeah. you know that uh, anything else in terms of politics this week uh, you know there's the Gorsuch vote we'll find out what happens there I don't I don't think that's going to proceed in any way that's going to be surprising to us yeah I, I mean I think that I think they will filibuster I think it'll actually be closer than most people think I think yeah. they'll they'll probably get something like 58 or 57 votes maybe yeah, 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 yeah. or maybe 55 I'm, I'm pleased that the Democrats have reframed the victory here as being able to f- the you know being able to filibuster as opposed right. to to block him right you know now everybody's paying attention to that vote like yeah. will they get enough votes to filibuster the answer yeah. is yes they will right <laughs> schumer will be able to do that yeah obviously that's right. gonna if that's what they want that's gonna happen right and now but then they lose the filibuster then they're right. gonna lose they're obviously gonna also lose, lose the, the filibuster, filibuster so that will be the loss yeah i guess like if they manage to filibuster and everybody's happy about that if people legitimately get happy about that i guess that's a good thing right but it's ultimately going to be an easy victory for the republicans right and that was always going to happen. So. Yeah, so it depends on what the de- Democrats want to do. You and I have said this that they wanted, we wanted them to confirm him weeks ago. Yeah, effectively. I think the first could've... day. Hey, right. Any male modeling? Okay, <laughs> yeah, go. Just over and over again. Just male everybody model? talking about you know sexually harassing <laughs> Neil Gorsuch <laughs> right, right. on the stand. Yeah, exactly. With every question, till yeah. he's till he's visibly uncomfortable, and then just vote him in. And just vote him in. Yeah. There was one piece of politics or political news I wanted to bring up. Okay. So, uh, and I saw this come up a lot, is that Jared Kushner's role, I think, in the administration has just become 
more and more prominent. Like they're talking less about Bannon, and when I say yeah. they, I just mean various news sources are talking less about Bannon, more about Jared Kushner. Uh, he's sort of expected to be the adult in the room, even though he's the youngest person. He's only yeah. 35. So Jared Kushner uh, has limited qualifications to take on the entire foreign policy portfolio that I think the Trump that Trump wants from him, and he uh, he's going to be sitting in on the on the Chinese negotiations or whatever negotiations are. Yeah. Um, so one, he has no experience. Let's just be honest. He's the son of a real estate developer he, who developed mostly like. Sure middle like middle class like bungalows uh, throughout the New Jersey coast um, and at the same time I mean his business interests make him very susceptible to the charge of just being able to be influenced by various foreign powers so it's worth bringing up that Jared Kushner is someone that Trump is relying on a lot and is actually a pretty big vulnerability but so clean cut his father <laughs> went to jail for hiring a prostitute to uh, entrap his brother-in-law. My suspicion is that Russia won't bring uh, Trump down. What will bring Trump down is his um, his openness to uh, influence, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, whether real or imagined, like his family still has significant stakes all around the world. So um, it will again be like Al Capone being arrested for tax evasion. Yeah, and it's, that that stuff's. Crimes, it's crimes. Yeah, yeah it's crimes. Yeah, you know, yeah. crossing those sanction lines—that's also treason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In terms of domestic politics, I think that's it, right? Here in here in United States acres, <laughs> right. things move a little Don't slowly. But I think this gives us a little bit of time and space to talk about international politics, which yeah, is something yeah, we yeah. both like. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think there's a lot to be said because I think, um, particularly on the left, I think there is a certain. Uh, lack of interest or just um, uh, or just a lack of engagement with international politics. Yeah, and we've seen how that's been a liability because the right has really got their shit together as an international coalition to be nationalist. Yeah, yeah. And I think, if anything, the weird thing about Donald Trump is that he wants to pull out both from international obligations and international <laughs> engagement in sure. terms of war theaters. So maybe this is a very particular <laughs> moment of Republican isolationism, which is harking back maybe to the Lindbergh days or something like that. Yeah, right. You know, that's why things are, I think, picking up, right? That's why things are getting so unstable and crazy. Right, right. The retreat of leadership, foreign leadership, I think, is is why um, both, I think, the global system is becoming a little more febrile, a little bit more fragile. Yeah. Um, And we saw this start under Obama. Yeah, it's it's hard to think of a the last really great visionary president in terms of foreign policy. Yeah, I think it was unfortunately Reagan. Yeah, absolutely. I was yeah. going to say the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, because, certain... because Reagan did what Nixon wanted to do. Right. You know, he right. was able to like carry through with the rest of Nixon's like foreign policy yeah. initiative. But yeah. Dark. <laughs> For such a powerful, influential country, the U.S. Yeah. does not give a shit about foreign policy. And it creates problems yeah, that really. eventually we have to solve because yeah. we intersect with what America does care about, which is making money and you know not witnessing genocide. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, it is, uh, and a lot of institutions are, for lack of a better term, rigged to help the U.S. exert foreign power. That's what a lot of these big institutions are are geared towards. Yeah. Um, is there anything in international news that caught your eye this week? First of all, Taiwan. Like the situation there is is interesting. Yeah. Feel free to explain. Trump has made it totally transactional, right? He, yeah. He, this is exactly. This is a man who sees all relationships, both personal and political, as transactional, yeah. and so 
foreign policy becomes dicey. At yeah. That point. So, so as he's about to have his summit meeting at with uh, Xi Jinping at, at, at Mar-a-Lago, yeah. uh, it seems like Taiwan is on the table as right. far as like something we're willing to offer up to China if they allow us to start making shit here. I don't really know what we're going to get out right. of giving up Taiwan. That's yeah, a, I mean, this is a, this is a large democracy, yeah. um, and it is certainly an island that has thrived, um, but it has a contentious relationship with the mainland at best yeah um and the relationship is only stable because we don't talk about it It it's really a don't ask don't tell kind of policy towards taiwanese democracy but taiwan is very much a democracy and to be fair just to own up to it my wife and her family are taiwanese and they they live in my my in-laws live in taiwan so um but it's still an issue i mean and this is also true for hong kong right yeah Yeah. as well yeah 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 less we have less control over what happens there yeah Uh, they're i guess more in the english sphere of influence than the american one but uh you know chiang kai-shek was definitely an american bro (laughs) he really was i have a lot of trepidation towards this meeting coming up with xi jinping and we haven't talked about or i haven't seen a lot of the news but it just seems like the trump administration is going to go in particularly poorly prepared uh with a very shallow understanding of the relationship between the u.s and china and is going to see everything in terms of how do i get manufacturing in the u.s china's not going to be able to help you and how do i lower the trade deficit again china's not going to really help you and everything else is up for grabs um and it's just a very dumb policy and again one of the people who's leading it is jared kushner who doesn't speak chinese who doesn't know anything about china um, and so I, I think it's a policy that doesn't have a lot of uh, direction. Now, the, on the other side to that, I think I think China is also a, a, a country that is just is just starting to feel out what it means to have global ambitions, right? That could be good uh, or that could be bad because, again, it's not a democracy. I, w- I would say uh, there are a number of things that are happening in the world, and, and one of them is that there are countries that are extending their inf- or their spheres of influence, Russia, Iran, and China. Um, but the Chinese-U.S. Turkey. relation, Turkey is yeah. Turkey as well, right? Yeah. right. Uh, uh, but uh, the Chinese-U.S. relationship is going to be the most important relationship in, in uh, over the coming fifty years, and it is being negotiated by a fucking fool. The terms of it, the initial terms. Yeah, the, yeah, putting Taiwan on a similar footing with Hong Kong is that yeah, would be catastrophic, just, you know? Yeah, this is this is just terrible. I think it is it is a poor shallow foreign policy and uh, i worry about it i worry about it a lot even uh i mean this has ramifications for the philippines it has ramifications for japan for the koreas i mean for the koreas it depends on i mean maybe one of the bargaining chips is whether or not uh china can finally reign in north korea but i think effectively they just don't want to so all the top tough talking from trump which is a a difference in tone between him and uh obama i think all that saber rattling in theory could provide something but i think most people also see him not as a paper tiger right yeah i mean it's pretty clear that he can't get things through his own legislation so like if he came in and he was really effective and he was able to like command the republican congress that he has control over Mm -hmm. then it'll be another thing but his domestic policies which have been you know very much public his his domestic failures weaken him in terms of like how tough leaders are going to see him on the uh, 
on the other side of the negotiate table. Yeah, I hate to be an originalist here, but it seems like one of the founding principles of our Constitution and the Declaration of Independence is we should stand up for democracies like around the yeah. world and privilege them in a foreign policy way over countries that are not. Uh, that just seems basic. Yeah, and this is a thread that um, started <coughs> probably since Carter, and it was con- pretty much continued up until Trump ended this 50-, 40-year policy, like... It's an important policy. Like I think it's, it's something we should not explicitly let go of, right? Yeah. In fact, I would argue that before Trump was elected, we had a golden opportunity to in, improve democracy. Yeah, with world. Hillary Clinton for yeah. sure. And it's just a, it's an opportunity that's lost, and hopefully, Trump doesn't do so much damage that we, we can't regain it. Yeah. Uh, or someone can't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. If we're retreating from this, I mean, maybe we have influence the world enough that yeah, some that, other country can take up the mantle of it, if if we're retreating in russia and china are therefore becoming ascendant that doesn't yeah. that also means that there are other democracies with perhaps more american-esque goals who will also be ascendant yeah and since we will no longer be defending them i guess yeah, yeah, I <laughs> darkness uh, real darkness <laughs> Um, anything else uh, leap out in terms of you wanted to talk about a couple of elections? Or yeah, something? so we've got the, the French election coming up this month, or at least the first half of it. Uh, they have a round of voting, and then they narrow the field of candidates to two, and then people vote on that. So what can happen, um, and it's happened in the which past. Prevent, which is a pretty good system from right. a game theory perspective because it presents spoiler third parties right. uh, fucking with shit. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen this way, but uh, apparently uh, um, there is sort of a centrist, a center-left guy, Macron, yeah, that's and the, pulling very well. Right, so. and the Socialist Party leadership has you know, all come out in favor of Macron, which may hurt him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Considering yeah. the fortunes of the Socialist Party in France. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, things that, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a weird time in politics and polling in particular, so... We could get Le Pen as a president. Yeah, I wish the the German election and the French election were reversed as far as time frame goes, so that right. the Germans can help out the French. Uh-huh. Germany's not in danger of going far right anytime soon. Right. Uh, but they, she is facing a leftist challenger. Uh, Schulte, I believe his name is. Schultz. He's doing very well. Okay. It is against the law to advocate for the far right in Germany. So right. if they get seats, that's like holy shit, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, they're very good at, you know, Germany has had to play both sides because they need their lights ter- kept on and Russia provides that for them. Yeah. So it's a... One of the things that, we, since we're talking about European politics, is that um, I think there's a lot of headlines being grabbed by like, oh, will Le Pen win yeah. or will Merkel win? But what has happened at a basic level is that the rise of these sort of anti-immigrant or we consider right wing or even pro-Russia parties, um, anti-EU parties, um, have forced a lot of the center-right or even the center-left to move to the right. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the the bad pieces of coverage, I think, was um, in the Netherlands, Geert Wilders or whatever, uh, he lost. Um, His party gained a couple of seats, but everyone was expecting much worse things, and he effectively lost. But what had happened was that the center-right coalition that was in charge had to move to the right and they had to do a couple of things that actually made a little bit of sense but effectively they had to posture uh take on a, a somewhat anti-immigrant posture in order to make sure that they shut down the right or at least contain them headlines mean something but it all also it also means that we have to uh dig a little deeper to understand that the politics are changing yeah 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 
we're five days in uh, to Brexit. Uh, now people are realizing that there is a border with a uh, 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 a foreign country or a foreign body in in Ireland, yeah. and, and so they've got that border there. That yeah. if they police creates targets of opportunity for uh, smuggling, for smuggling for Irish unificationists. Right. Uh, they're part of the deal of the of. Of, the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah, was making Northern Ireland part of both part of the UK and part of Ireland. Right. Making it have a double kind of uh, identity. Yeah. For trade, for 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 politics, it's not a big country. Right. right. At least it'll be a white terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's something. <laughs> uh, this is, these are dark times for people who want you know, who are unrepentant internationalists. They really are. I wanted to talk a little bit about Myanmar or Burma. Sure, as, yeah, yeah, yeah. As my generation called it. It's not getting covered a lot in the press, but there was a good article, I think, in The Economist about it. And so, um, for those who don't know, uh, Myanmar has been effectively, um, it is now being governed by someone who was considered a, a freedom fighter, someone who waged a war for democracy against a ruling military clique or junta. Yeah. She's, um, she's the daughter of somebody as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So... Yeah, kind of a lineage there. Yeah, there's a lineage, which is, is which isn't, which isn't atypical in South Asia or Southeast right. Asia, where uh, uh, certain people's daughters take up the mantle of political leadership, especially at the higher levels. Um, so, uh, so she has been in power for, I think, two years, 18 months or something like that. Yeah. Um, and they're just a number of growing pains. And so uh, someone who was sort of a hero of the left, who was a freedom fighter, is really having a hard time transitioning to being an effective governor of a pretty fractured state. Um, and one can blame sort of the military because they, they sort of carved out a lot of power and they still hold a lot of the uh, levers of the economy, um, as any good ruling military <laughs> clique would do. Uh, but effectively, uh, ruling is hard. Uh, whereas resistance is not. Uh, well, it's not that it's not that hard, but it's it's a little less complicated. It requires a different skill set, yeah, and requires uh, institutional memory that you don't have yet. Right. There is a difference between uh, the mindset of a revolutionary and the mindset of someone who can actually govern a democracy. Um, and I think uh, in Castro had both. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I I think it's sort of instructive because I think. A lot of times the way that the left thinks about foreign policy is they tend to think of it in terms of <coughs> high ideals and all the details just cascade down from these high ideals. And I think the truth, governing is effectively a, a very messy, very detail-oriented process. And um, and again, like I, she, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, was a hero to the left, and she was celebrated for many years. But um, I think, and rightly so, to well, be absolutely fair. I mean, right. Like, yeah, she was in under house arrest. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I think that again, right. The trick is not holding on to power, realizing your limitations, right. Passing this on to somebody who perhaps can do it better. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're defeated in a primary, for instance. <laughs> But yeah, I would I would encourage everyone to follow what's happening in Myanmar because it's it is instructive. It is a an honest to goodness a counterpoint to how I think the left thinks about foreign policy. Like you just have to elect the most idealistic, most uh, liberal person, and and all great things will flow from that as yeah. long as you have the right 
uh, set of moral ideals. And I think the right does this to some degree. The more ideological right also thinks of this, like you have to have the right moral ideals and then yeah. everything else flows from yeah, it. Yeah, and it's yeah. just not true. You wanted to bring up Ecuador. Yeah, the Ecuadorian election is not particularly interesting, but it is interesting for the factor that whoever wins gets to control the fortunes of Julian Assange. Oh, right. And the right-wing candidate has said that uh, if he wins, and the election's in dispute right now, it's now into recounts, uh, it's like really close, and the uh, right-wing candidate's charging corruption. He said that Assange will be out within 30 days. It's his Obamacare being repealed. Uh, He's getting rid of Assange. I, uh, I feel like that's a little easier to do. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But that it, it, it's such a weird problem. Like, right. As soon as he leaves that embassy, he's able to be arrested by the British government, right? Right, yeah. It's fascinating. I don't think he's going to... I think the left is going to win in Ecuador because right. I think they just have too much corrupt power and influence. But that's such an interesting gambit. Like, what is that? Because, I mean, on one hand, that's good for England and, you know, maybe it depends on what embassy accepts him. Russia, I would assume. But that's too... It's too transparent. He can't be in the Russian embassy, can he? Like, that just, like... That's too much, right? Like, that's too... It just, like, proves yeah, too I much. I, yeah, I don't know. I think he would have to give himself up. I think he'd have to give I, himself up. Between giving himself up and going to Russia, he'll go to Russia. That's just, you know, admitting total guilt, right? Like, that would be... That would, that would totally discredit everything he ever says again, right? Yeah, and I guess he'll cry all the way to his government. I think... Dacha. I think he would go to China before he goes to Russia. You know, I, I, I don't know. That's just bold, broad speculation on something that probably will never come to pass. Okay. Well, should we move on to doubling down on defeat? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is there something that the left has done in particular, uh, or the Democrats have done in particular, that has smacked of uh, a self-inflicted wound? Uh, there was one thing that I want to bring up that is much more about, like, cultural warrior-ness. Okay. Um, which was, uh, there was, uh, this is just a, a Twitter thing, but... Um, I think that a lot of people were talking about uh, Mike Pence had talked about his the rules and regulations around his marriage and oh, it's like yeah. sent the left up in an uproar yeah, yeah, yeah. And, his, then, like, <laughs> and, and I guess the right uh, came and rallied around to like support him and, yeah. and this is you know this is exactly why the discourse through Twitter is so terrible in a lot of ways because yeah. basically people who get upset over these like little superficial facts are the people. Uh, who are weighing in, um, and and it and it feeds into a tweet storm because a lot of the media consumes Twitter and and that's how they measure because it's an easy metric to see who who's interested. But the problem is there are a lot of people who just don't give a shit. And, and I just put out to the, our listeners like, how do you anti-tweet something? Like, how do you reduce the number of follows? Like, you're like, I want yeah. to not unfollow or like want to reduce the visibility ability. of this. Yeah, item? exactly. Yeah. How do you? How do you anti-reply something yeah. or anti-like something where you actually reduce the number of likes? Not hate it, but just like, I, you know, we just need to be able to dial it down. How do you actively be inactive on Twitter? And yeah. I think that's really important. We need to put a lot more <laughs> apathy and inertia into that system somehow. Where you're, and I think the way to do it is flood it with inane nonsense, like <laughs> more bots, yeah, more, more bots that just tweet words, that just tweet like pictures. Yeah, <laughs> like just just have a whole like arsenal of yeah. fucking animal videos yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just like like it's the exact opposite of what facebook is facebook ha, has been i think in a lot of ways unfollowable or uninteresting because people just flooded it with political news yeah and then, to be fair that's how i guess political news is communicated but what you need to do is is 
double down, especially during these times of nonsense, is to double down on your commitment to innocuous mediocrity. Are you familiar with Pentamitron? <laughs> I am, Pentamitron? yes, I am. <laughs> Pentamitron is a, is a bot that uh, organizes Twitter in iambic pentameter uh, without uh, prejudice of yeah. what is being tweeted. It just finds tweets that say something in iambic pentameter and then finds something that rhymes in iambic pentameter, and it just does this relentlessly in a way that never ceases to be amazing. It's right. great. Uh, I, I feel like bots like that really make things better. Right, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really important <laughs> to, like, make sure that we are gathering, like, you know, animal videos <laughs> and, like, cool pop culture trivia. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was, that was the one thing that I think that the left did wrong, was getting very angry about Mike Pence's uh, marriage life. Um, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. understand that I, there are concerns. I'm not saying that it's my cup of tea, but the yeah, whole point, yeah. I think, is none of my fucking business. So, like... Yeah, <laughs> is that, I always just look at, like, a, a good Christian marriage. It's like S&M. It's like, oh, you're into S&M. You're like, <laughs> that's what you've decided. Like, it's maybe not... Maybe it's not consensual. Maybe we need to investigate that, but, like, like none of my business. Like, I, who am I to judge? Right, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So this is the liberal conservatism <laughs> that runs through our podcast. Like, yeah. I definitely don't want to think about Mike Pence's marital habits yeah. ever. Like, <laughs> yeah, just like I don't want to think about 99.9% of people's marital habits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm on record as being fully convinced that Donald Trump is a secret virgin. Like, I believe that. <laughs> and... <laughs> I would say that um, uh, one of the things I think that the, the left has, runs a risk of getting a little complacent these days because it seems like the administration is doing such a good job of shooting itself in the foot. But yeah. again, there's a real possibility... <laughs> Um, the you know the the administration is there for the long haul. I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to be there for four years. And the likelihood of impeachment is is very small. The likelihood of even turning the Senate yeah. is pretty small. So if they change the victory conditions to overwhelming, overturning, changing the judiciary in a way that privileges the right, which I believe they will, then they're just going to have victory after victory over yeah, the so, next I mean, four years. Yeah, so it's a long fight. And yeah. so, like, being complacent as well as uh, crowing already, like, yeah, 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 doing yeah. a celebration dance around this is wrong. The administration is going to learn from its mistakes, and it's going to come back stronger. And so that is something that we all have to be very aware of. Yeah. Um, this is, yeah, these are stumbling blocks from which they will in all likelihood learn from. They're, they're testing in a predator sense. Yeah. the weaknesses of American institutions and it will, uh, which brings me to, uh, to, to to this week's Outside the Bubble yeah so Outside the Bubble is where we try to draw in interesting sources yeah, of yeah. Um, media um, of thought of policy analysis that is outside the liberal elite internationalist bubble that we occupy yeah uh, so you want to go first yeah yeah so I've been working my way through Churchill's World War II memoirs to my mind, Churchill's a pretty far-right guy, but I think he's come around like to be... I mean, Bernie Sanders talked about him as his like foreign policy go-to source. Yeah. Just like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, everybody got incensed about Clinton picking Kissinger, but, I mean, Churchill was way more to the right than <laughs> Kissinger ever was. Right. But uh, I do find the way that he managed to defend England in its time of trouble to be cynically really interesting and, like... Uh, a fascinating study in uh, coalition building and uh, in turning your weaknesses into strengths, right? Uh, and so I've, I've been reading these memoirs in, in a way to see how they fought, literally fought fascism uh, using uh, 
the tools that they had available, which were not many. They were yeah. a uh, small island. Yeah, and when France fell, they were just outnumbered on yeah. every side. You know, they they used the strengths that they had, which were their navy. You know, yeah. their their the colonies. Cool. Yeah, I've been watching a couple of uh, World War Two uh, documentaries. One was the Five Came Back, which yeah, is yeah. Netflix. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, when they talk a little bit about that that build up, so it's really interesting uh, to see how much. How America was really isolationist before. Yeah, yeah, World yeah. Uh, but apparently, I guess I didn't notice, but know this, but uh, once, uh, once the U.S. Had, uh, declared war on Japan, like Germany just fell in line and said, "We're tra- declaring war on the U.S." Yeah, that happened instantaneously. Yeah. But I mean, what were they going to do? They, you know, Japan wouldn't have done it if they hadn't got that. No. You know that that is secret deal true, yeah. from from Germany. Um, but it's, you know, the thing that I've taken most from these books and which was Churchill's insight too which is just that you know fascists and I don't know if we're ready to call Trump like an actual fascist yet but we, in, at least in the imagination it made perhaps even his imagination uh, yeah they need victories they yeah. need to win they need uh, victories wherever they can get them in order to continue fueling the machine that they have right uh, it only runs on blood like you can win playing defensively you know yeah. Because eventually they will just spread themselves out by picking up easy victories that they pissed off enough people that their coalition collapses in on itself. Right. That is the way to do it. Make sure that they continue to pick the low-hanging fruit in a way that pisses somebody else off. And eventually, there was nobody that they hadn't fucked with. Uh, and so I think that's useful to think about. You know, As long as you keep making Trump attack people, you have to just... You know, you have to be there for the people that he's recently attacked but not destroyed. Right. And then you build them into your coalition. You find out how they can contribute uh, to the larger war, and you offer them something in return. You know, you you know you you make you wear a Jeb Bush T-shirt. You know, <laughs> yeah. right? That stuff actually works eventually. Yeah. You know, you just there's just not enough like. Uh, innocent people to, to whose lives you can destroy. <laughs> Eventually, you start running up against like steel, <laughs> like Russia. You know, literally. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, to to my mind, that that might literally be Russia again, right? And Trump might eventually have to start attacking Russia again. In which case, those bots suddenly turn off. <laughs> and but it, so I think you'd really like it if it's like a, as an analysis of this like massive board game. It's but it's 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 well written for sure. Um, so my out contri- contribution to outside the bubble um, is an article in Foreign Policy again uh, by uh, Corey Shockey. Okay. Corey Shockey is a Republican, uh, but and she's part of the Foreign Policy team. She writes a lot, but she's uh, she came out <coughs> through the Colin Powell um, State Department, I believe. Okay. So she's a foreign policy expert. She's uh, she's I think part of the Hoover Institute. So she's she's got solid Republican credentials. Um, but she wrote an article in Foreign Policy quite recently, and it's called Trump Has a Strategy for Destroying the Islamic State, and it's working. And uh, the thing I, I like about her is fundamentally she knows her shit, yeah. and she um, she is not a fan of Trump yeah, yeah. necessarily unless he's proven himself. Yeah, yeah. And so and she's smart, and um, yeah, she's she's great. She's I, I, she's a genuine foreign policy expert. Um, and it's helpful um, because I think foreign policy in general uh, is one of those fields among many that sort of quickly disabuses you a sense uh, from a sense of um, political ideology. Foreign policy is hard and it's complicated, okay. and what works and what doesn't 
isn't constrained to one way of looking at the world or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So more, more Talleyrand than Bonaparte. Right, right, absolutely. And so, like, you know, she outlines like a, a number of reasons why actually um, Islamic State is on the retreat, and that you can argue that Islamic State was already on the retreat. Um, sort of backpedaling um, sort of towards the latter part of the Obama administration. But there is, um, because Trump has devolved powers um, to both the generals and um, uh, actually lower-ranking members of uh, of the military, allow them to make their own decisions, um, there's a speed and there's a focus in how the United States is dealing with Islamic State. And by extension also trying to address uh, maybe a little later down the road um, the issues with Iran that is actually very successful and it was something that had to come uh, it was a long time coming because what had happened was that the Obama administration had had tried to centralize and um, uh, bureaucratize uh, a lot of these military decisions so uh, it is it is a really interesting read that is um, I don't know if I agree with everything she has to say but uh, it is certainly something a way of thinking about it that will not come naturally to the left. Um, and you'll actually see, I think, in the reporting of what's happening in Islamic State is they're talking about, if you listen to NPR and things like that, they're talking about loosening of the rules of engagement and also the uh, um, the tragedy of what's happening because there's a lot more uh, civilian casualties. Um, but I think, uh, again, a war is very complicated and it's very messy. And so, also, we're throwing the Kurds under the bus as well. Well, right. Well, I think... I think uh, yeah, Which, that was the broader strategy for the left in that region was to help the Kurds yeah. have their own as they've been fighting for us for so long we were right. eventually going to pay them back I yeah. guess that's not happening yeah <laughs> so I think I think that policy in particular and what I guess what Miracle Jones is talking about is that one of our partners is are the Kurds though I think the YPK um, and so the Kurds are uh, on the on the ground level they're very helpful in terms of trying to uh, provide troop. The problem is that Turkey hates the Kurds, hates anything that smacks of an independent or possibly independent uh, Kurdistan or anything that could be in some ways a, a separate carve-out for uh, Kurdish people. Which kind of ideally would look a lot like what the the, the land that the Islamic State managed to take. <laughs> yeah, they would just take over. <laughs> yeah. they would, and I think that's what As the Kurds, the Kurds were hoping for. Yeah. That's what the Kurds were hoping for. And that's kind of what we were hoping for. That would have been, yeah. uh, we would have had an a extremely sympathetic uh, group in the region right. that we could funnel resources into. And yeah, and I'm not saying that the, that the current policy is all go and that we should listen to it, but there is an argument that it is working. Again, this is foreign policy. There are going to be trade-offs, and there are right. going, and you have to be somewhat cold-minded about it. So if the first priority is Islamic State, by that metric, it's doing well. There are, of course, consequences, but there were consequences for uh, Obama's administration's no policy. Question. You know, I think that the emphasis on speed, like the, 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 the fear that has been whipped up in people's minds about yeah. this uh, has created civilian casualties who can't... Uh, advocate for a slower policy because they're dead you know there's not yeah that's a real i mean i i I think there are again uh no optimal outcomes they're just less terrible outcomes so i do do believe that's an optimal you know we talked a little bit about this and i mentioned this i think a little from a on twitter if you follow our twitter account but basically you're squeezing a balloon yeah so like so what's happening is that islamic state (coughs) is retreating from places like mosul but they're finding their way to actually um, the northern part of the African Peninsula or maybe even 
uh, further down on the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah. So they are so that those the men and the I guess women to some degree, but also the arms are mm-hmm. finding their way. Uh, they're moving south and they're moving to the west. So the Obama administration's strategic plan was to use the Kurds to catch up, catch them as they were fleeing. That was the that was the you know and. Now I fear that they have no incentive to have that role. Right. So I think one of the problems is that if you allow a corridor, yeah. If you allow one of the advantages of allowing a corridor is they don't fight as hard. So you allow yeah, yeah. You, you allow an escape corridor so they can take over a city. So there are the. I mean, again, both strategies are terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll I, I think it, I think it's way too early to say that his I, strategy is successful. Yeah, you know, and I think you know, it's it's much more about maintaining the peace than winning the war, right? Yeah. Like it's terrible to lo- I mean, it's nice to win the war, but that's about fifteen percent of what you need to do. Yeah, it's also about making sure that our allies in the region are in the ascendant, as opposed to people who ultimately will benefit from things at our expense. Yeah, I mean, if Assad remains in power at the end of all of this, this strategy will not certainly... have worked. The refugees will not be returning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there will not be, Syria will not be rebuilt. Yeah, and, and this has real consequences for yeah. even Europe. I yeah, mean, yeah, this the is crisis why, will continue. And this is why an internationalist outlook is important, yeah, because yeah. the refugee crisis could be solved by a stable, prosperous right. Syria. Yeah, and you know those refugees are mainly in Turkey. Is Turkey going to force them to return yeah. to Assad, Syria? It seems that without Assad gone, there's no way to begin right. healing. I, I don't know. We may be able to take out Islamic State, but then are we going right. to actually heal the region? Yeah, like winning the war is fifteen percent. Rebuilding and winning the peace is another. Yeah, yeah. I would say that we weren't even doing that first fifteen percent. True. So true. Uh, so I think that's it for outside the bubble. And now we move into random shit. I <laughs> wanted to talk about literature. So let me let me bring this up. Because uh, I uh, I was listening to a couple of our old podcasts, because we and one of the things that um, I was listening to uh, you were having a conversation. Ross was chiming, and you guys were talking a lot about like things like David Foster Wallace, and I think like he just threw out a, a reference for Hunter S. Thompson yeah. and stuff like that. And so one of the and you majored in English, right? English and philosophy, yeah, right? yeah literature yeah. and philosophy, yeah. Uh, and so uh, it stoked this sense of like envy. Like I I didn't major in English, I majored. Uh, Utterly practical nonsense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, t- t- literature is, is not just defined as uh, creative writing, sir. Literature what? is the body of work of the human. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fair, I guess. Um, I, 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 you know, there was a part of my, what I guess I'd call a liberal arts education yeah, that yeah. was neglected somewhere oh, along the way. All right. All right. Um, and you, but you, you read the great books. You were at Columbia, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But that's why I went to Columbia yeah. so I could read some great books. But I think that's just a small part. Like I never read David Foster Wallace or um, uh, I guess Hunter S. Thompson. Okay, these are lesser of works. But like, yeah. I feel like there's a lot. <laughs> you can you can knock that out, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I feel like there's something. But it's also like uh, you know, you, I took a couple of semesters of. Uh, um, sort of a, a survey class in literature, great yeah, literature. Yeah. So I mean, I, granted, I'm tickled someone's envious of somebody who studies literature. But I'm a, I, 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 in, in particular, yeah. like, I, I appreciate, because I, I think of either the hard sciences or mathematics as being really important, but I I, uh, I mean, you've done a, a pretty good job of marrying the two. I think Ross also is an interesting example of someone who's married both 
uh, technology, but also uh, literature, right? Like he's he, he's both a writer and and a sort of a technologist. So, sure. um, so I guess to me, uh, there were just a number of things that I've noticed just having these practices. Uh, you read a lot. Yeah. You read a lot, and yeah, I, yeah. I am really envious of that because, like, oh. I I read fiction, and I'm pretty good about, but I read pretty superficial fiction, and I don't read that much of it. Um, so I guess I just wanted you to talk about this. Have you always been a reader? Uh, I can't remember not. Yeah. I remember, like, just going to books, like, in a hostile way. Yeah. I mean, I did it to, like, avoid shit. Yeah. You know, I would just read, like... I, I got terrible grades in school because I would just read books. Yeah. If if you, like, got on me for just reading a book in class, yeah. I guess, instead of, like, paying attention to what I was supposed to be paying attention yeah. to, I would put the book away, and I would be the worst student in that class. <laughs> <laughs> be like, all right, you got me. Like, here I am. Like, because <laughs> like, I hated school, so yeah. I would just read books instead. And just well, I was, I was thinking about that because I know my sister, she reads a lot. It's just something that, I guess, I don't do and so i just want to read a lot man you read i would say you're in the top 0.001 percent of <laughs> but i don't readers. read fiction and i feel like I, you, my you, ability you, to comprehend uh, both my reading speed and my ability to comprehend like good fiction is yeah. really it's pretty limited and it's just not a muscle i exercise so I'll well you're it. also not trying to write it i mean yeah that's, that's another true. thing like i i dissect like i, I can consume right. a book just looking at the technical aspects of it I wanted to bring up this anecdote. I guess this is a slightly embarrassing anecdote. But I just I, when I was thinking about literature, I was thinking about this. So when I was younger, uh, there was they had a they had this promotion in the library, and it was called "Reading is Fundamental." Uh, so you would you would like uh, was the fun highlighted? Yeah, the yeah, mentals yeah, up, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. And so like you know, everyone in the li- library, the local library, um, Parkwood. Uh, <laughs> Parkwood Library, um, they would get together and they would, like, you know, you, you would read a book and then the librarian would test you and then if you had uh, gotten the book... You got pizza, right? No, that was yeah, the Pizza Hut thing. I'm thinking a, of something else. Yeah, yeah and yeah. so, like, you know, you got a little got a little gold star yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, like, you know, like, the person who read the most books would win. And uh, so, um, that's fine. That's generally, you know, like, oh, it was, it was a way to encourage reading. And um, so what has happened was that sparked off uh, a deep competition between my mother and her best friend slash chief social rival Kate Chianti darkness <laughs> and so the two sons of these women oh competed. no um and so for a summer I read like uh, I believe it was like 389 books at, at gunpoint <laughs> that's I amazing co- though I, I came home and I would read 20 books a day did you win? Yeah. All right. I won. I won, I won, you won. I won like the region. Like, like, like that was the end of my reading. Like I was done. I was yeah. so burnt out. I was like, I never I picked up literature. It. It's fucked up, yo. Yeah. <laughs> That's not fucked up. That's being brought up in an Asian household. <laughs> I mean, there isn't an Asian listening to this that is like, yeah. oh yeah, I did that. I mean, to my but mind, I, I burnt out and I stopped reading for fun, and I feel yeah. like I never like recaptured that yeah to my mind that's like that's like that's crazy for what i i think we should just like stop teaching english literature in schools we should teach spanish instead no yeah Uh, i just don't think i think it's like two books are there man like we should teach history and you know like people should there should be like a a really good library with like modern titles they should have a huge budget and should be like a little bookstore like should have like ya shit and should have all new shit you know like there should be no 
uh, moral prescriptions on that. It should be like a bookstore, you know. You yeah. should go in and be able to take out whatever you want. Everybody's reading. But I think I think English literature curriculum in America kills the love of it. <laughs> to my mind, that little contest of like making people see who can read the most, it's like a porn watching contest. Like you're supposed to be enjoying it. <laughs> like it's not supposed to be like a fight, you know? Like yeah. If you, if you like get into one book and read it over and over again, that's way. It's just as like I, there's a couple of books I read like thirty times, you know, oh, like yeah. when I was a kid, just read them over and over, and I really got something out of it. They were just like beautiful to me. Yeah. But like I, you know, like I think you know, like don't you know, whatever fiction you're reading, that's like that's the story that's taking place in your dreams, right? Like every uh, day, yeah. it's like you're infusing, you know, that your day with that like story that's also taking place in parallel where you're like engaging with it right so it's it's about like figuring out what you want that to be and where what you want your you know curating your imagination by taking in a piece of fiction and making sure you know what i mean like right i think that's interesting i think in some ways like i come from a much more like uh both demanding and also romantic sense of what a (laughs) liberal education right like i mean to me part of the romantic notion of an education is is that yeah. you're supposed to pull in from all these fields um and that's how you become a great uh mind or whatever um, well i mean as far as like the discipline of literature goes i would urge people to just kind of not try to analyze it too much like it's written using unconscious processes sure and I agree it should with that. probably be analyzed in the same way just like let it sink probably I, I read too much like i'm i'll kill something with something i've already read but it's because like it's my craft like yeah. i'm always trying to like i'm trying to write stuff like yeah uh, I, I, I but I, I think letting lingering with something and letting it kind of like play in there is great like yeah. you, you know you could get way more out of it than somebody who's just like chewing speeding through, through the great words yeah, yeah 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 and trying to you know and reading stuff again and processing it in a new way and right. coming back to it if it's something that resonates with you that means it's something that works in your brain and your life you ever read that never-ending story or no have you seen have you seen the movie yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Have to see it the book's really good yeah. uh, it's a german book okay. uh by michael and uh, but it's got you know the never-ending story the movie that's just the first half of the book oh okay they made a sequel to it which kind of captures the second half okay. but it's not very good yeah but the second half is all about uh bastion uh, in Fantasia, right? Oh, okay. And he's got like this wish machine, right? Ah. It's all about. It's all about the first books. The first half of the book's all about like the uh, why we should love literature and like why imagination is great and yeah. why we should. Second half of the book is all about the cost of that. Right? <laughs> like every time he makes a wish, like part yeah. of him dies. Like yeah. every time he like and he's unable to like get at who he is. Right. He's he's playing in fantasia right and he's like opened up some yeah. new thing in fantasia right yeah that is like changed the landscape of fantasia but he loses something inside himself uh, and i think without that we, we have that really like literature is good outlook because i guess most people don't engage with it but it's also bad you lose stuff as well right. as you like invite people into you that take up space and colonize yeah things. you know i mean it's a good because i mean you consider yourself also a sci-fi writer I like science, but I'm not very good at math, and it's an entry point into like yeah. thinking about science and its impact and like the way that the scientific method works in people's minds without yeah. actually having to do any work. So it's, <laughs> I mean, you're doing the work of reading, yeah. which is something that I can, I'm good at and can do, and so I feel right. confident about engaging with science that way. Uh, but I like all kinds of literature. I just like, I think 
my mindset, the way that it, I construct things is suited to science fiction. Because I do like, I like puzzles and I like the... Was there, was there a sci-fi book that you thought was like the most impactful or is there, is there a series that you thought was really, really great? I'm a huge William Gibson fan. Like I think, uh, I think I like the, the, his, the, the bridge series and the, the sprawl series. I think they're all really good. Like I, I love Nomancer. That okay. to me, that's a more of poetry. Okay. Uh, it's not a great book. Uh, there are flaws and limitations yeah. to it, but I read it and I think it's beautiful. I think it's like a really, like, uh, not just the writing, or the story, which has problems, but the way that he wrote it, the mind that came up with the story, I read this book and it's like, this is a beautiful thing. Like, okay. This guy approached this subject in a really novel way that makes me, it just makes me very happy. It, it opens up vistas that I enjoy playing in myself. Okay, cool. Uh, and that's a, to me, that's a treasure. Like, if somebody can write something that inspires you as well to move into areas that, that is uh, so be- I mean it changes your life it's right. like it makes you see the world in a whole new way it's a, you're making that fantasia wish you're losing something of yourself you're seeing things through somebody else's eyes right. but you're you're getting a something some kind of perspective that lingers so I think there's things you can talk about in fiction that you can't talk about through any other way yeah. and they're just like hidden things that are like secrets and are just points of view or just like different kinds of characters or literature should be like food it should be something that you have opinions about you know of course but they're totally arbitrary yeah and you know there's no don't listen to anybody that tells you there's like a really good book like or who make hierarchies out of them yeah it just means they haven't read very much yeah (laughs) you know what i mean Yeah, yeah that's fair that's fair I'm very, I, I often get frustrated with literature myself with like formal capital L literature yeah. because at like the highest and I guess lowest levels of engagement with this yeah. maybe like cooking right? like people don't really give a shit yeah. they just kind of go after what they like and what they think is good to them Yeah. and they're kind of just interested in eating Yeah. as opposed to the recipe yeah uh, but yeah uh, yeah, I guess that's it for literature. We've, yeah, small topic. <laughs> just a little time. Yeah, yeah, Completely yeah. Appropriate. I can talk about books with you forever. I think yeah, you're, yeah. I think you're, to my mind, as somebody who is a professional writer, sir, yeah. I think you're a very well-read person and someone who's fun to talk to about literature. Oh, that's cool. Well, no, I, 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 well at least that's something. Yeah, you yeah. can at least fake it. <laughs> <laughs> that is the point of an expensive classical education, is that I can fake it. Thanks again, listeners, for joining us. This has been episode 13 of Room of Requirement, I am Kamala Shrao. I am Miracle Jones, and yeah. uh, we'll see you next yeah. week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And thanks, thanks again to Kevin Carter for our wonderful music.